0: This week, uh, we're wrapping up our sermon series on heart habits. Um, we've been exploring over the last couple of weeks a couple of habits to help us bring our hearts more in line with, with who Jesus is, with what his heart is for our lives. Next week, we're beginning a new sermon series, and just to to give you a little preview, and if you want to get you know a little homework done before next Sunday. You don't have to by any stretch, but if you're like, oh, I'd like to be prepared. um, Next Sunday, we're going to start a new series for several weeks. We're going to look at the life of Noah. And so we're going to be taking a look at the life of Noah from the Old Testament Genesis. You may be familiar with Noah's Ark. Um, It's more than just the story of a guy in a boat. And so we're going to talk about the story of Noah and discover together what we can learn from his life. But This series that we've been talking about, this Heart Habits, it really began with with the birth of the church. That that at the beginning of of, of the church, we saw that there were some things that they devoted themselves to. And you can find that in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. In Acts chapter 2, we see the beginning of the church. We see the beginning of this, functionally. This gathering of people together really began in this way, not exactly like this, but in this way, and this, this is the lineage of that from Acts chapter 2. And the chapter begins with the Holy Spirit showing up to a room full of the followers of Jesus. <clears throat> and that is the moment when the church was born. And then in verse, uh, after that we see Peter gets up and he preaches this amazing sermon and thousands and thousands of people come to accept Jesus as their Savior. And then that we see that the church becomes a thing. And then in verse 42, we're given a summary of what life in the early church looked like. And it'll tell us this. It'll, this, this was a summary of, of who they were and what they did. It will say, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And we've been talking about how, how, we can, how we can have these things be a part of our lives. We talked about a couple of weeks ago being devoted to the apostles' teaching. For us, that really means being in the Word of God. That's how we discover what the, the, the teaching of the apostles were. That's how we discover God's heart for us is to, to be in the Word of God. We talked about reading our Bibles. And last week we talked about how to understand prayer. How do we pray? What does a life of prayer look like? How can we understand what it means to be a people who pray? And this week, we're going to look at the middle section, to, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread. Now, if you wanted to, you could probably turn this into a four-week series and divide those into two and talk about what fellowship means and, and what breaking of bread meant and, and those kinds of things. But, but for this week and for what we're going to talk about together, we're going to bring these together and we're going to talk about what it means to fellowship and to break bread together in, in the local church. Today, what we're going to talk about is the habit... The heart habit of church. So, something that you'll hear a lot today and, and many Christians will say is, is that, 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 you know, you don't need to go to church in order to be a Christian. That The Christian life is personal. It's just you and God and that you don't need to have that be a part of your life. And, and there is some truth to that, that you don't need to go to church to be a Christian. But I would contend that you need to go to church to be a growing, thriving Christian. To be, to be all that you are called and created to be, you need to go to church. To be a husband to Yvonne, I don't have to do anything redeemable. To be a good husband for Yvonne, I better do something. You know, that to, to say, well, I don't need to do this in order to be that is to say I don't need to be a good one of those. So to say, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian, 100% true. Absolutely true. But to be a good, growing, thriving Christian, and we're going to talk about why, we do need to be a part of church. The Bible presents a picture. One of the themes of the Bible is God creating a community for himself, and then calling us to be in community with each other. From the very beginning of our creation, if we go back all the way to the very beginning of of when people were created by God, God recognizes it's not somehow that we come to God and say, God, we've learned something about ourselves. God looks at his creation, and as he looks at his creation, he understands that we're not meant to live life on our own. It will say this, the Lord said, it's not good man to be alone. It's not good for us to live by ourselves. It's not good for us to try and operate on our own. And so what this means for us is is that being a part of community, being a part of of the greater big C church, the, the idea of being a part of the family of God, it's not just an optional extra, but it's at the very heart of God's purpose for us. And as we talked about the last couple of weeks, and we're going to do that today, we're going to get really practical. As we talked about some practical things to help us be in our Bible. We talked about some practical things to help us pray. And today we're going to talk about some practical things to help us make church an effective part of our lives. Because let's face it, you're here. So you might not need a sermon on why you should be at church. Because you're here. There's the expression, preaching to the choir. And this kind of sums it up. You know, preaching to a room of people at church, why it's good for them to be at church. The people who aren't here are perhaps the ones that need to hear it. But what we want to do this morning is not just say, you need to come to church, but I want to give you some practical steps so that you can get the most out of this, that, that you're not just coming to church out of ritual or, or whatever, but how you can get the most. And so we're gonna talk about how, how to make church a habit, but we're also gonna talk about how to get the most out of church. Because like prayer and reading our Bible, we don't want going to church to be, to be something that we're just doing to get off of our guilt list. But church should hopefully be a part of your life that you actually like. And, and that you actually enjoy, that, that you should come to church and, and not leave here going, oh, six days, 23 hours, 15 minutes till we got to do that all over again. Hopefully we can get it. But that you leave church going, I enjoyed being there. And so as we, as we look at how to make church a habit, it's important to, to, that, that, that there's three things that, that we need to do in order to, to get the most out of church. Three things that, that we need to do as people, that if you want to get the most out of your church experience, three things that, that are, are a part of who we are as a church that will help us make church an effective habit in our lives. First thing we need to do is we need to worship together. Never underestimate what happens when when God's people get together to worship. Now, of course, we we know and we understand and we believe and we preach that worship is more than just Sunday. That if if your life's worship is contained to a 35-minute window on on Sunday mornings, that we don't have a proper, full understanding of, of what worship is. God calls us to worship Him with our entire lives but he also calls us to, to gather and worship with others. It's one of the most important things we can do. We, we sing together. Some of us sing off-key. But we sing together. i I I'm not... I didn't... I, me! You know, I, I'm not pointing fingers. I, I'm not, Some of you sing off key. You should be more like, no, 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 no. no. Trust me. That's why I sit at the front. Because then nobody has to stand in front of me and hear me sing. It, it, it's not just because, oh, I'm the pastor. I should sit in the front. It's these, the guys on the stage, they got things in their ears. So they can't hear me. And if I stand there, you can't hear me either. When, when in the beginning days of, of church online, and all of that one Sunday, and it was just like Pastor Matt and, and me, and I think Zach was maybe here, and Brett was maybe doing sound, and I had just talked, and I had forgotten to come off the stage, and worship was happening, and I had forgotten to turn my microphone off. And all of a sudden, when, whenever I get a text message, I get a vibrating thing on my wrist. And all of a sudden, it was like, din, 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 din. I, what's happening? And Yvonne's texting me going, turn your mic off, turn your mic off, turn your mic, turn your mic off, turn your mic, turn your mic off, turn your mic off, turn your mic off. So we gather together. Sometimes we sing off key. Sometimes the songs are too slow. Sometimes the songs are too repetitive. We, we pray together. Sometimes faltering, sometimes mumbling, sometimes with, with too little genuine feelings. Some sometimes with too much, Lord, we just, Lord, want to ask, Lord. We read scripture and reflect on it together. Sometimes with, with not always great exegesis, sometimes with too little Jesus, sometimes going past noon and lunch is waiting. But why do we do it? Why do we get together and and spend this time together? and, And it's great, and it's flawed, and why do we do this? Well, if we look at the book of Revelation... The first vision that John gets, and if, if, if that statement is kind of what's the book of Revelation and what's the visions that John gets, there's a lot to unpack there, and we're not going to get into all of that right now, but John is given these visions of, the, of, of heaven and the kingdom of heaven and, and all of these things, and the first vision that, that he's given is all about worship at the center of of all of the worship, the object of all of this worship is is God seated on his heavenly throne, ruler over all creation. And this is the vision that John's given. And then it says that four living creatures are immediately around the the throne, one, uh, one on each side, a lion, an ox, a human being, and a flying eagle. And then it'll say 24 elders surround them seated on thrones, dressed in white robes with golden crowns on their head. Now, we could spend a very long time talking about what each one of those things could symbolize, what what they might represent. But that's not what we're going to talk about now. What I want to highlight for you is the first vision that John's given of heaven is a vision of worship. And in the worship that we're presented... It's not worship alone. The the four living creatures, the 24 elders, they didn't come one at a time. They they didn't come separately. They, They didn't come and each individually worship God without the others. They worshiped together. And so so when we see what worship looks like in heaven, it's not just personal, it's not just individuals. They're doing it together. This tells us that, that worshiping God is important. It's essential. It needs to be part of who we are. And not just worshiping God individually. Although incredibly important, worshiping God collectively, gathering together with one another is essential. It's what God has for us. The next thing that we need to do in order to make church work for us in our lives to understand how to best be this is that we need to pursue one another relationships. The church is a community and a family at which we get to follow the one, <coughs> follow the one another commands of Scripture. These commands necessitate relationship in which we intentionally serve one another. Now now the phrase one another inside scripture it's a Greek term that we translate and the word is allion and it means one another. And it occurs in the New Testament over 100 times. So it's a phrase that comes up over and over and over and over again. One another, one another, one another, one another. And 59 of those 100 times that it shows up, it's a commandment teaching us how and how not to relate to each other. So I'm going to read you just a partial list. We're not going to read you all 59 of them, but I'm going to read you just a partial list of the one another commands in the New Testament. Love one another. John 13, 34 tells us that. And this command is the most common one. It occurs 16 times in the New Testament. We are commanded to love one another. Be devoted to one another. Romans 12, 10. Honor one another above yourselves, also Romans 12.10. Live in harmony with one another, Romans 12.16. Build up one another, Romans 14.19, 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Be like-minded towards one another, Romans 15.5. Accept one another, Romans 15.7. Admonish one another, Romans 15.14, Colossians 3.16. Greet one another, Romans 16.16. 16. Care for one another, 1 Corinthians 12.25. Serve one another, Galatians five. Thirteen. Bear one another's burdens, Galatians 6, 2. Forgive one another, Ephesians 4, 2, uh, and verse 32, Colossians 3, 13. Be patient with one another, Ephesians 4, 2, Colossians 3, 13. Now, undoubtedly, if you're trying to write all of that down, you didn't succeed. If you would like some of those references, I'd be happy to provide them for you. Or you can just Google one another in the New Testament, and all of these are going to show up. But the best place to practice the one another commands is when other people are around. It's really hard to to practice loving one another if there's not another. It's easy to practice loving one, but it's really hard to practice another without another. But the more people are around you, the more you're gonna have to practice these things. The more you're gonna have to love one another, the more you're going to have to accept one another. The more people are around you, the more you're going to have to bear with each other. The more time spent in community, the more you're going to have to forgive one another. And the more you're going to have to be patient with each other because you've spent more time together. See, we are called, we are commanded in the New Testament to have these things be hallmarks of our relationship with one another. If we do this Christian life on my own, there's 59 commandments in the New Testament that I'm not obeying because I've chosen to not be with one another. The next thing we have to do, the the, the third thing, and this is the last sort of thing that we need to do in order to to make the habit of church be a real part of our lives, is we need to do this. Then we're gonna talk about some more practical things that we can do. But the last thing that we need to do is we need to serve. I think so often we can get this message, get this heart confused. That, That if we feel unsatisfied or, or we can feel unfulfilled in something or by something, our immediate instinctual response to that, that, that if I'm feeling unfulfilled, if I'm feeling unsatisfied with something, the immediate sort of human flawed understanding of that is that sometimes when that happens, we think I must not be getting what I need. That's, that's why I'm feeling unfulfilled. That's why I, I, I'm, I'm feeling like I'm unsatisfied is, is because I'm not getting what I need. But I think more often than that, it's not that we're not getting what we need, it's that we're not giving what we need. It's not in the getting that we find fulfillment. We like to believe that it is. We like to believe that, that if I'm finding fulfillment, it's because I'm getting everything I need, it's in the giving. Jesus told us this. Jesus, Jesus said this. We, we read, remember the words of the Lord Jesus Himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And we hear that. We know that. If you've got kids, undoubtedly you've quoted that scripture to your kids more times than you can ever count. You know, kids, it's more blessed to give than receive. You know, you know, it's better to give than to receive. You know, it's better. It's your brother's birthday. It's better to give than to receive. Jesus told us this. We know this, but yet sometimes, isn't it hard to really believe that? Isn't it difficult to really trust the words of Jesus when it comes to that? But, but there is so much truth in that. In every relationship, the best relationships, a marriage, parents and children, friends, church, family, we may always think that we want to be the one who receives because it's the best. But the very best of those relationships is where the individuals are looking to give more than they receive. Want a better marriage? Try and outgive your spouse. I promise. if both people try and outgive each other, you're going to have a better marriage. Want to have better friendships? Give more towards your friendships than you get back. Want to feel more connected at church? Serve more. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 will tell us this. For we are God's handiwork. Now, I just want to highlight this because I think it's one of the most important things. We translate a word like that, like handiwork. Um, but other places that word is translated, and this is what I would like for you to hear in this verse, as, as I think it's an important thing for understand, the word can also be translated masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece. You are a masterpiece. You were created by God, and you are not just thrown together out of spare parts. You're not just thrown together out of all the stuff nobody else wanted. You are God's masterpiece. It's created in Christ Jesus to do good works. We we are God's masterpiece, and the outflow of his masterpiece is that we were created to do good good works. It's not you are God's masterpiece created to receive from all of those around you. As much as we would like that to be, we were created to do good works, for things to do, for things to give. And so if we, can, if we can put into practice those things, that if, if we can put into practice a heart that we, we, we worship together because it's what God wants for us, if we can put together a heart of, I need to be in community because I'm called to do that, I'm commanded to do that, I'm commanded to live with this group of people, some of whom I know, some of whom I don't know, because in reality, some of them are here to tick me off so that I get to forgive them. Your whole purpose in coming to church here might be that somebody else will need to forgive you one day. Now, that's not true. There's more than that. But part of it could be that you are going to tick somebody off and then they get to forgive you, and now you've fulfilled your role in their life. But I want to give you some practical things. I don't want to just talk. Oh, and then the last thing, to serve. That, that we are called and created to be not just receivers, but we're called and created to be givers. But I want to talk to you about some practical things. That, that It's all well and good to give you these conceptual ideas. But how, what are some practical things that you can do that when, whenever I'm done talking and when church is over and you go to leave, you can go, okay, I got it. I, that was a good church service. I got something out of that. I, I want to give you some practical ways that, that on a Sunday we can make the most out of coming together. Now, really, there's three parts to a Sunday. There's before church, during church. Anybody want to guess what the last one is? After church. That's right. On a Sunday, there's time before church, there's the time when we're here, and then there's the time when we go home. And and so I want to talk to you about how to do those three times in really practical ways so that our time at church is really rewarding. Here's what we can do before, during, and after we meet together, before church. It's basic, but it's an important step. Plan to come to church whenever possible, not out of guilt, but because it's important. Now, it's not always possible. It's not always possible. And, and so it's there, not somehow, hey, if it's, you know, I couldn't come to church, shame. No, 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 it's not always possible. We can't always be there. You know, my, my wife and my daughter are not at church today because they're not feeling great. And so it's not always possible. Sometimes there's commitment. Sometimes there's things. Sometimes we have to work. Life comes at us, and sometimes it's not possible. But when it's possible, make a point of saying I'm going to be there. Because unless we prioritize things other activities will crowd it out. So many of us have things in our lives. I I used to play softball, and man, I loved playing softball. And then Theo was born. And he's our youngest son. And suddenly going out multiple nights a week to go play softball wasn't a priority anymore. Because I wanted to stay married. Um, But... But... The things that, that are not priorities, are not the top priorities, they get pushed out. And so if we leave it till Sunday morning to figure out whether or not we're going to go to church, stuff's going to come up. The, the Bills and the Chiefs are playing this afternoon. And, and I don't want to go to church in case he talks for a really long time, and i got to miss the start of the football game. Whatever it may be, if we don't make it a priority, it won't be a priority. I cannot tell you how many times I've spoken with people feeling frustrated with their connection at church, feeling distant or unconnected at church, but so often it's born out of a season where they're not coming regularly. And so this, I just, I, I'm not feeling the, the same kind of connection as I used to. And say, well, you've come to church three times in the last six months. Probably true. But we get that reversed, and we, we, can, we can fall away from that. But before you come to church, we need to prepare. So what, what can you do to prepare? Do your best to get enough rest to come to church. Again, it's not always in our control, but we do what we can. Do your best to make a plan for getting out of the house. For some of us, that's really easy. It's grab my jacket. For some of us who've got multiple little ones, for a 1045 service, it starts at 715. And the minute it starts to get off track at 717, if we're not on track, we're late for church. But if we try to leave it till 1045 and be like, oh, let's go to church, probably not going to happen. Here's the last one that I want to invite you to do. And I want to invite you to make this a part of your, your, your experience with church. Pray for God to work during your time with God's people. Even as as it's just walking through the front door of the church on a Sunday, let that serve as a reminder as you walk into the building to just be able to say, God, use me today. God, I'm available for you to use today. It doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be grand. Last week we talked about it doesn't have to have long, involved prayers. But God, use me today and then see what he does. So, we've prepared, and now we're at church. So, so what, are we, what are we doing at church? What are we doing during church? Now, if you're a gym person, one of the things that people will tell you is that and you've maybe heard the, 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 heard the importance of is engaging your core. That, that you can work out, but if you don't engage your core you won't get the same results. No. Now, Aaron, you're probably the most gym guy here. Is that true? Yeah, maybe. There we go. Perfect. If you don't work out with your gym, without engaging your core, you can do it, but you won't get the same results. In the same way, we need to engage our core when we gather at church. Re- refuse to sleepwalk through church. Think about the words you sing. But let your heart engage with the truth you encounter. Listen to the sermon with expectancy. Here's another thing. You know, we talked about the simplistic idea of like being prepared to go to church. Here's another really simplistic idea that can be overlooked because the other ones sound much more churchy and godly. The sermon, the worship, all of these kind of things. But this is just as important. This is something we can do. Strike up a conversation with someone. Connect with someone. Be willing to, 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 to be a part of someone else's church experience. Now, for many of us, that can be intimidating because what am I supposed to say to somebody? Hi, how are you? And now what do I got? Well, I want to give you a free pass in that. Today, if you think, oh, I'd like to, you know, maybe I, maybe I could do that. I just don't know what to say. Here's what I'll invite you to do after the service. I invite you to, to say, Ludovic, my name is Brad and I'm just doing what the pastor told me to do. There's your intro to the conversation. And then Ludovic can say, Brad, thank you for doing that. Nice to meet you. And then see where it goes from there. And maybe you'll leave today with a new friend. Maybe you'll leave today having prayed for somebody that you didn't even know you were going to do. But we want to have an opportunity to connect with each other. That if, if we just come to church and then we get out of here before anybody has a chance to talk to me, then we're not doing what we're supposed to to be doing. Expect to encounter God when you worship at church. Expect God to use you. Ask for his help. Do everything in your power to, to worship him and encourage each other. It's almost impossible for me to overstate the positive impact we can have on others if we are coming looking for ways to be an encouragement. It's almost impossible for me to overstate that. The the impact that you can have on somebody else's life if you're looking to be used by God and willing to be used by him. In fact, the the writer of Hebrews will make a point of saying that that we should make a point of meeting together. But he won't talk about, you need to not, you need to make a point of meeting together because just think of how much you could get out of it. You you need to make a point of being together because it's going to change you so much. No, he says you need to, to make a point of meeting together because of the effect that you can have On someone else. He'll write this. He'll say, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. He says, don't give up going to church. Don't give up being with other people because we need to be encouraging each other. That that we need to be spurring each other on to love and good work. that, That as we're coming together Don't give up meeting because somebody might need you to be that for them. Then when church is over, after church, when you leave, take time to reflect on, on what you experienced. I know there's lots going on. Your day is full. Even if it's just full watching football. But it, there's a lot of things that it can be full doing. But, but take time to, to reflect, review, review the scriptures. Ask God to, to reveal any action you should take. If if you encountered anyone who needs prayer, make a note to pray for them. As part of a church, we're called to, to engage. We're called to show up, to be intentional expecting God to to use us as we participate in the life of a church. We're we're not meant to live this Christian life on our own. We're not meant to see this as an obligation, a nuisance, or something we do because of guilt. I want to invite you to do something this morning. I want to invite you now to, to look around the room I mean, like, really look. Like, don't side-eye the person sitting next to you because it's kind of him. But, like, get Look at the people behind you. If you're over here, look at the people in that corner. Look, look around the room this morning. Sorry for those watching at home. Um, you can just really see me. You want to type your name in the chat so people know you're there and we can try and build some community that way. But the reason why I want you to look around this room and see, see the faces of everybody who's here this morning is because this isn't just a room full of people who go to the same church as you. This isn't just a room full of people who have chosen to go to the same church as you. They are that, but it's so much more than that. Scripture will tell us that God places us in families. Each person here doesn't just attend the same church as you. Each person here is a gift in your life. You may look around and you may say, "I don't know them." It's just a gift you haven't opened yet. You're only halfway through opening your Christmas presents. There's other Christmas presents for here, for here, here for you to open, because the, as you look around the room, even if it's your first Sunday here, as you look around the room, we're we're family. God has placed us in family together, even if it's just for an hour and 25 minutes this Sunday. But each person here is a gift to our lives. And so I want you to do one more thing. I asked you to look at everybody around you. now I want you to, to turn to the person on your right or your left, the person behind you, and just let them know you're thankful for them. We can be thankful for each other because we're a gift to each other. Whether you know it or not, the person you just said you're thankful for has been given to you as a gift. You've been placed inside a family with them. We're to be a part of his family. As family, we go. So over the last few weeks, we've looked at the core habits of the early church. The, the core habits of following Jesus. Reading our Bible, praying, and being a part of our church. Other, other habits are helpful. There's other things that we can do to grow in our relationship with the Lord. But if, you, if you've ever learned to play the piano, you learn to play scales. You play them over and over and over and over again. You've never learned to play the piano and maybe you play basketball. You learn how to bounce a basketball. Now, as you get to be a better piano player, as you get to be a better basketball player, you can add other skills to that. That You, know, you learn how to ba- bounce a basketball, then eventually you need to learn how to shoot a basketball. You, you, as you learn to play the piano, I don't know what the other things are called, but I know you learn how to do other things. But you never stop needing to know how to do those things. That you never say, well, I don't need to know how to bounce a basketball anymore because I know how to shoot a basketball. They're both important parts of playing basketball. But if you don't know how to bounce a basketball, you can't play basketball. If you don't know how to play scales, you can't play piano. Whenever you're feeling overwhelmed, it's helpful to return to core habits. They're foundational, will never outgrow them. Keep practicing your habits, incorporate them into your life. Allow these habits to direct your heart to Jesus. Practice your habits, take the next step, and God will be with you. Let's pray this morning. Father God, I thank you for, for each part of my family that's here this morning. God, and I thank you for the parts of our family that aren't here this morning. But God, I thank you especially for all the parts of our family that are here today. God, I thank you for each one gathered in this place. God, I thank you that, that your word will tell us that you set us in families. And so God, I thank you that in your infinite wisdom and in your infinite grace, you saw the need for this family to be together today. And so God, I'm grateful for my family. And God, I pray that you would stir up inside of us a passion for our family, that you would stir up inside of us, God, a desire to be together. God, may we not just somehow see if we get together, but God, I pray that you would help us to be active, passionate about being involved in our family. God, I pray that you would help us to not somehow live our lives out of a place of of what we'll just see what happens. God, whether it comes to reading our Bible, whether it comes to praying, whether it comes together to being together as a family of God. God, may we be intentional in our relationship with you. God, we don't just want to follow you, but we want to follow you well. And so God, I pray that you would build inside of us these, these heart habits that would help us grow to being a part of who you've called us to be. God, we love you and we're so grateful that you continue to work in our lives to shape us and to make us into the people you've called us to be. And God, we look forward to growing into being more and more and more the men and women that you've called us to be. God, we we are so grateful for your presence in
1: our lives. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Sometimes we feel so lost, we think we'll never be found.
0: Thanks again for being a part of this message from Hillside Church. We pray that God was able to speak to you through what was shared. We're so grateful to be able to share God's word with our church community and family. That includes you. And we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Hillside Airdrie. You can contact us through email at info at hillsideairdrie.ca or you can go to hillsideairdrie.ca and click on contact us from the main menu. Or you can find our pastoral team contact by clicking on Our Pastors from the Our Church drop-down menu. Our vision for everyone that shares in Hillside Church is that they would know God, know His hope, know his purpose and know his power in their lives. And we pray this message ministered to you. At Hillside Church, we're a family not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. As family we go.
1: When I was younger, I was running like a prodigal. My mama praying every night that God would save my soul. So let me tell you my testimony There's someone praying for you every day Now that's amazing grace